The scripture reading today comes from James chapter 1. James chapter 1, it's printed on page 8 in your bulletins, and I'll be reading from verses 1 through 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, that's us, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who believes is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And this is God's word. I want to hand the pulpit over to my brother and my friend, dear brother and friend, uh, Brian. Brian has been attending our church for quite a long time. He came in midway through uh, our birth as a church. And uh, he has a particular preaching style. We're praying for Brian as he uh, continues, as he leads into uh, planting a church of his own in the future. That's what we're hoping for uh, in the urban sector of Philadelphia. So pray for him and pray with him as he leads us. He's going to be walking us through an entire book as a part of a series this, this uh, year. Brian has been a steady encouragement for me during my trial and during my suffering over the course of the last year. I'm blessed by him as a brother uh, and encouraged and excited for him as he preaches. Good morning, everyone. Hope uh, everyone is well this morning. Um, It is an honor uh, for me to be here, uh, to stand in front of you guys, to share the word this morning. And I have the high honor of being with you guys uh, for the next five weeks as we are going to go through a sermon series on the gospel according to James. We're going to go through a five-week series on this book. Um, It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It talks about the centrality of the gospel in one's life and what it means to go through trial what it means to do it within community, and what it means to do mercy within the city of Philadelphia. So as we dive into uh, the word this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer. Lord God, we come before you. We honor you. We thank you, Lord God, for this morning, for your mercies are new. And Lord God, I just ask that you, O oh Lord, be with us at this time. May the Holy Spirit fill this room right now as we hear your word. 
Lord God, for everyone here this morning, wherever they are, Lord God, whatever trial, Lord God, that may be present, uh, Lord God, in trial may your presence be felt. And Lord God, at this time, I pray that this word will be revelatory. Lord God, use me accordingly to your strength. Lord God, I desire to be an instrument within the Redeemer's hands. So Lord God, use me accordingly to your power. Lord God, so be with us at this time as we hear your word this morning. All glory and honor to the God who is able. We praise you, we thank you, and in your son's name we pray. Amen. In the New York Times best-selling book, Grit, Angela Duckworth argues for the importance of passion and perseverance in one's life goal. To prove this, she gives the reader a case study about West Point and its very difficult admission process. See, what starts in the junior year of high school with 14,000 applicants is immediately cut down to 4,000 based on required nominations. Only about half make it to the next round after meeting West Point's academic and physical standards. And only 1,200 of the 2,500 will be admitted. It's a difficult admission process. But what is more amazing is what happens after being enrolled. See, one in five cadets will drop out before graduation with a high percentage leaving in their very first semester during an intensive seven-week training program named the Beast Barracks. Those seven weeks are considered to be the most difficult weeks in their West Point career. Training starts at 5 a.m. It includes nonstop physical training, classroom instruction. There will be no weekends, no breaks, and barely no communication with family. The beast is described in the West Point handbook as the most physically and emotionally demanding part of your four weeks at West Point. It's designed to help you make the transition from new cadet to soldier. The purpose of their training, although agonizing, is not to break them, but to build them. See, in the same way, Trials often feel like you are going through the beast barracks of life, where we are challenged by some of the most difficult set of circumstances. But as difficult as trials may be, Christianity tells us there is something purposeful about our trials, and it's this. Just as the beast barracks are to shape new cadets into soldiers, trials are to shape our unbelief to faith. See, whatever trial you may be going through, whatever struggle you may be dealing with, know that your current trial is not in vain. And in fact, Scripture says that you can find joy within it. 
So James tells us why the Christian can come into a disposition of joy in trials. I got three points for y'all today, this morning. The trials give us three things. It gives us a deeper faith. It gives us a deeper intimacy. And thirdly, a deeper community. Faith, intimacy, and community. Read verse 1 with me. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and he was also a leader of the early Jerusalem church. And he would be given the title just because of his faithfulness to God. In fact, historians will tell us that James would even be stoned by the Pharisees for refusing to renounce his faithfulness to Jesus. James the Just. So who was his audience to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations? Now, scattered among the nations, it translates a Greek phrase using the word diaspora. The word diaspora was the technical name for the Jewish community that lived dispersed among the nations. Scholars would say, that these Jewish Christians were likely oppressed and taken advantage of by wealthy landlords who scorned their Christian faith. So here we are, James the Just, a sufferer in his name, writing a letter to the suffering and persecuted Christian. So how does James begin this letter? Look at verse 2 with me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. See, due to the cosmic nature of sin and the sin that dwells in every man, trials are inevitable. Let it be the dealing with the loss of a loved one, the uncertainty of your future, physical affliction, the loneliness of one's heart, the persecution because of your race or socioeconomical status. Trials come in different shapes and different forms. And it's why James says that one is to face trials of many kinds. This is why momentary afflictions often feel like permanent scarring. Temporary hardships seem like everlasting turmoil. Sometimes it just feels like trials never end. So it's interesting that James would consider these many trials as pure joy. Why would he say such a thing? James gives us his reason. Look at verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James declares to us, consider it it pure joy, for there is purpose in your trials. Consider it pure joy, for trials are making you more Christ-like. Pastor Tim Keller in New York says it this way, 
other worldviews lead us to sit in the midst of life's joys, foreseeing the coming sorrows. Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of this world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy. Consider it pure joy, for trials are giving you a deeper faith in the Lord. Looking at verse 3, we see the word testing. Now, the word testing in the Greek is dokimion. And we can find two of those instances found in Psalm 11, verse 7, and Proverbs 27, verse 21. And this word refers to the process by which gold is refined by fire. See, in ancient times, the form of refining gold, it involved a craftsman sitting next to a hot fire with molten gold in a crucible being stirred to remove the dross and impurities. Flames would reach temperatures in 1,000 degrees Celsius, refining gold, and it was a dangerous task. But that's what it took to reach 24 carat pure gold. Trials are often a fiery flame to the soul. But just as gold is purified by the highest amount of heat, trials purify our souls to give him the highest amount of praise. No trial on earth can destroy you. They are only there to purify you. They are there to deepen your faith. And verse 4 foretells this promise, excuse me. Verse 4 says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now track with me uh, to be mature and complete. It's something that cannot happen here by our own will. Uh, The more literal translation of mature is perfection. But the reality is that you and I cannot reach perfection here on earth. Perfection will only happen when Jesus returns. What does that tell you and I? If perseverance is to finish its work to the age of completion, life will always be of much perseverance through trial. It will never, ever end. But what our hope is in is knowing that you can and you will persevere when you place your faith in the one who said it is finished. See, you and I cannot finish the work. You and I cannot be perfect. So we need someone greater that could. Who is that for us today? See, Jesus Christ faced the most amount of suffering through the ultimate trial. He would be pitted on the cross, but his perseverance finished the work. Let it be clear that you and I are not saved by our own works. We are only saved by his, and in him we persevere to the day of completion. 
See, letting perseverance finish its work means to trust in Christ alone. Trials might get harder, but in Christ alone, your faith will only get deeper. And this leads us to the second point. There can be joy in trials, for they give us a deeper intimacy. Look at verse 5 with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. In the darkest and longest of trials, God gives us an intimacy that allows us to ask him the things we would never ask if trials never existed. See, in verse 5, we see that intimacy is shown through the asking of wisdom. Now, wisdom is a God-given and God-centered discernment regarding the practical issues in life. And here, James is not instructing the Christian to ask for a change of circumstance. He does not tell James to ask for a quick outcome. James says that in trial, ask for wisdom. Why is that the case? See, in Asking for wisdom is a declaration that these trials may be long, but it is also the declaration that trials are for our good and his glory. See, what's the problem? The problem is our lack of faith. Rather than run to the one who generously gives, we run to the idols who selfishly take. In our lack of faith, we trust within the folly of the world rather than seeking the wisdom of God. We run foolishly in sin rather than hiding in his grace. In our lack of trust, we tend to doubt. That's why in verse 6 through 8, if you read with me, it says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In verse 6, what we see is that our doubt is referred to the waves of the sea, easily blown by the winds of our trials. See, the wave of the sea is pictured earlier for us, earlier in the gospel, specifically the gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 37. I want to read this to you. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Beloved, this is our hope. Just as the disciples asked Jesus for help when the waves of the seas crashed over the boat, Scripture tells us we can ask Jesus for help 
when the waves of the seas crashes into our lives. For you and I have a hope that Hebrews chapter 6 verse 19 says, a hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Jesus Christ alone is our anchor for the soul. And it's in trials when his presence digs deeper into our lives that allows us to trust him more. Allow me to explain. See, how anchors work is not necessarily by the weight of the anchor itself. Anchors, they actually hold down its place because they have these flukes and they dig into the ground. Now, what's interesting is this. An anchor is constructed in a way that when there is an increase in wind, the anchor buries itself and deeper and it becomes more secure. And it's actually because of the wind. In the same way, trials may increase. It may make you doubt like the waves of the sea. But just as winds actually help anchors work more effectively, it's these very trials that create a greater intimacy for it's allowing the gospel to penetrate deeper into your very soul. Jesus Christ is an anchor for the soul. His presence deepens in trial. And the question is this, how do we depend more on the anchor of our soul rather than the waves of our doubt? It's by remembering the cost for this deepening intimacy. See, rather than physical suffering, I would argue one of the greatest sufferings in life is losing a relationship. We all have dealt with that before, and it's never easy. That's why breakups, divorce, lost, it feels like traumatic agony and a great amount of suffering. The greatest suffering in life is losing the most important relationship. And when we look at the cross, we see that Jesus Christ, too, would lose the most important relationship, and it would be on our behalf. Jesus Christ lost his intimacy with the Father, so you and I now have an undeserving intimacy with the Father. Christ's body was torn into two, so we can intimately be one with him. May you find joy in trial, for it allows our intimacy with Christ to go much deeper. And we can ask for sustaining wisdom. We can pray about our deepest fears because we know that Jesus Christ also faced the most difficult trial and the deepest amount of suffering. We can find joy in our trial knowing that they give you a deeper faith, a deeper intimacy, and leads to our third point, a deeper 
community. Read verse 9 and 10 with me. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation. Now here, we see that James is starting to shift gears a little bit, and he transitions to now talk about the rich and poor. And at a first glance, I I think it's very easy for us to say that, oh, the humble are the Christian and the rich are not Christian. And I don't think this is James' argument. I think the point for James is that regardless of one's status, we are all in need of the gospel. That rich or poor, without Christ, you are infinitely far from the glorious riches that are obtained in the kingdom. See, for the poor, James is encouraging them to remember the humiliation that Jesus Christ endured as he suffered on his way through the cross, knowing there will be exaltation and glory. For the rich, James is encouraging them that Christ, although eternally rich, he came down from heaven onto earth to become flesh, to be vulnerable, to serve his people in humility. See, rich or poor, we are all in need of the person and work of Christ, for everything on earth will fade. Verse 10 and 11, they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plants. Its blossom fails and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. What does that mean for us? Rich or poor, whatever it may be, you and I are called to be in a deeper community. You and I all have a narrative of trials. But may our trials not destroy community. But just as trials deepen our faith and as it deepens our intimacy, may you allow your trials to deepen your relationships with one another by embracing others' narratives of pain, suffering, and trial. See, the church, you and I, God's people, were meant to be a community where we are embracing for the sake of repentance and reconciliations. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14 says it this way, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Allow me to explain. On April 29th, 1992, a jury in Ventura County acquitted four white Los Angeles police officers in the beating of Rodney King, a black motorist, after a high-speed pursuit. This incident would be caught on videotape sparked national debate about police brutality and racial injustice. The verdict stunned L.A. where angry crowds gathered across the city, now infamously known as the L.A. riots. Widespread widespread rioting killed more than 50 people, injured more than 1,000 people, 
and it caused approximately $1 billion in damage. Now, about half of those damages were sustained by Korean-owned businesses. See, what happens is now the, 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 the struggle, the racial injustice is getting deeper, long-simmering cultural clashes between immigrant Korean business owners and predominantly African-American customers spilled over with these acquittals and has been an ongoing issue ever since. Well, 2017 marks the 25-year anniversary of the riots, and there has been recently an engagement between blacks and Koreans after decades of racial tension. Leaders from communities, they pledged to work together in what they described as a special day and they would gather in worship and in community. The, this event marked the first time the two groups came together to commemorate the riots. City officials and members of the African-American community and Korean community, they gathered at the home of the oldest black congregation in L.A. to promote a message of unity. But here's what was said at the gathering, what was so interesting. I quote, the L.A. riots was not a black Korean issue. It was a poverty issue. It was an issue of language barriers. Someone else says, we, the black and Korean communities, were pitted against each other without understanding each other. We have to engage each other. Another person says, if the Korean community and the African-American community had been communicating back in 1992, the pain, agony, anger felt by both communities might have been avoided. See, if I can say it this way, they were trying to say if we dealt with our trials to reconcile us rather than separate us, decades of hostility could have been avoided. Reconciliation could have been a possibility. In the same way, May our trials not create more separation amongst God's people, but may our trials bring us into a deeper, enriching, meaningful, and repentant, gospel-driven community. See, it's easy for trials to corrode our souls to bitterness and anger, but through the gospel, may trials convict you to deepen your relationships through repentance for the sake of reconciliation. As I begin to land this plane, I want to encourage you with verse 12. Read with me. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, having stood the test. That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Many of us in this room have a hard time believing that there is a crown of life ahead because maybe because just maybe all you have experienced in your life was a crown of thorns. 
And yes, they do penetrate into the flesh. But be reminded of Christ. Because before we see him in exaltation, receiving the crown of glory, he too had to wear a crown of thorns. When you are experiencing the crown of thorns digging into your flesh, be reminded that in Christ you're actually digging deeper into his glory. Take heart. Persevere. Beloved, your trial is never in vain. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 25 declares, Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But you and I do it to get a crown that will last forever. May that be your encouragement this morning. May we be encouraged as we go through trial. Will you join me in prayer?